Welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, etc. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think SparkNotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Paige May. Thanks for listening. All right, y'all, this is it. Part five. If this is your first time listening to Fanny Rushing, that means that you're going to want to go back because you missed parts one through four of our extended conversation with her that we had for episode 20. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next week to hear from Andrea Ritchie on her new book, Invisible No More. I wanted to start uh, by... Um, Shiva says that this book is an ancient philosophy that is the genesis of a modern political movement. Uh, the thing uh, that struck me the most in reading Shiva uh, initially uh, was not so much her words but uh, the words of Chief Seattle of the Squamish tribe uh, in 1848 when he said, how can you buy or sell the sky, the warmth of the land? The idea is strange to us. If we do not own the freshness of the air and the sparkle of the water, how can you buy them? Every part of this earth is sacred to my people. Every shining pine needle every sandy shore, every mist in the dark woods, every clearing and humming insect is holy in the memory and experience of my people. The sap which courses through the trees carries the memories of the red man. This we know, the earth does not belong to man. Man belongs to the earth. This we know, all things are connected like the blood which unites our family, all things are connected. As Shiva says, Earth democracy is an awareness of this ancient wisdom of indigenous people around the world, not just Chief Seattle, but that it is this that has to form the genesis of a new political movement, that we have to come to the realization in this commodified world, that you cannot commodify the air and the water, yet we have. That's what we have come to. And it is increasing. We have to not only destroy corporate globalization, we have to replace it with a world that doesn't replicate it. And, and this is what... Uh, this is what draws me to, to Shiva. Mm -hmm. uh, not just talking about what's wrong. I mean, she's very, very good in explaining uh, 
what it is that's wrong with corporate globalization. Uh, in many ways, she um, replicates Césaire in that uh, Césaire does a very good job of talking about what colonialism is, and it is not benign, it is not neutral. Similarly, uh, we are often told that globalization is benign, uh, that it has no ramifications, um, that it you know can be used for good. Maybe some people use it for bad, but it but that it's a neutral phenomenon. She says nothing neutral about corporate globalization. It is the destruction of humanity, and if we do not destroy it, it's going to destroy our humanity. So, uh, you know, Williams has already taught us that, uh, you know, this is not just a matter of creating black capitalists. This is a matter of figuring out what is wrong with the root system, and is it really possible for that system to provide a fair and just way of life for the people of the earth. And once you decide that looking at these systems, that they are exploitative, and that it's not just a matter of rearranging things, but that it is the very root cause that has to be destroyed if you're going to have a healthy body. So, in many ways, there are a lot of different books, but they are all very, very connected. Uh, which you've done so consistently you, the insistence on the importance of connection mm -hmm. and then to make those connections across these books um, so I'm writing down I've been trying to write down little things that you're saying um, that either really resonate with me or challenge me um, or just things that I want to remember um, but yeah the, what you just said about the root cause has to be addressed or, or, or erased mm -hmm. to, to care for the body uh, are, are there other things that you want to say about this book? Um, because I'm, I, I won't lie, I don't know how to end this conversation. Um, but I, I do want to make sure, I want to see if there's anything that you want to add about this, this vision that, that Shiva's laying out. Um, uh, yeah, again, um, Shiva is an eco-feminist. Yes. Um... It is the fact that in this country, we so separate these movements. Mm -hmm. you, you can be a feminist, but you don't have to care about the environment, right? Um, you can be uh, anti-racist, but you don't have to care about the environment. Yet, <clears throat> environmental racism is a core component of the genocide that we are seeing. Right. Our communities, uh, everybody knows about the food deserts. Right. Well, I can't say that because every semester people remind me that everybody doesn't know okay. about food deserts. But they become more well-known. But, but, but people are at least becoming aware of food deserts. Flint lets us know about the water. But, you know, just as Césaire says about colonialism, 
these things have been going on outside the United States by what Shiva calls global capital for many, many years. We were not aware of it until it comes home to the United States. Um, in many places, in India, in many places in Africa, certainly in Latin America, people can't drink the water. All right, the water is so polluted by the factories that have gone there to escape from the regulations that they have in the United States that the water is undrinkable. Okay? That's environmental racism. And so what do they do for water? They have to import bottled water in plastic, which further right. pollutes the environment. Shiva is able to understand that you cannot talk about feminism and the environment as separate. And one of the examples she gives of this is that in most parts of the world, women tend the earth because men have already uh, been incorporated into the cash economy. To the degree that you have a small farm in the countryside, that means you are not as dependent on the cash economy. And so as Shiva points out, Coca-Cola, Monsanto, they have to destroy that production in the countryside. Who does that impact? It impacts women who now have no source of, um, no source of money and no way of sustaining their families. And so what seems like an environmental issue is also an issue of gender inequality. So for me, the fact that she makes it very clear that struggling around the environment is not something for white college students. <laughs> right. um, our communities are dying from environmental racism. It is in our communities where rats and roaches are still walking around spreading disease. Um, <clears throat> who's most likely to be bitten by a rat? Not somebody in Winnetka, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, baby in some poor area on the south or the west side. Why do you have rats? Okay. And so these things are not separate. And, and, and she shows us, um, again, uh, by going um, by going step by step, she begins by talking about the enclosure movement in Britain in the 16th century and takes it right down to the 20th century because we have gone from the enclosure of the commons in one small area to a destruction of the commons 
on a worldwide scale. And so now it's not just enclosure in England, but the destruction of the common land has taken place everywhere in the world, making all the people in the world vulnerable to corporate capital, uh, making all the people in the world no longer able uh, to uh, live outside uh, the cash economy. Um, and she talks about the principles of earth democracy or what she what she calls earth democracy uh, and um, again <laughs> uh, there is you could go um, you could go um, through every uh, through every page of this, and obviously I'm not going to do that, um, but uh, I'm going to talk about the principles of Earth democracy in just a minute. But she says, corporate globalization is based on new enclosures of the commons, enclosures which imply exclusions and are based on violence. Instead of a culture of abundance, Profit-driven globalization creates cultures of exclusion, dispossession, and scarcity. In fact, globalization, uh, globalization's transformation of all beings and resources into commodities robs diverse species and people of their rightful share of ecological, cultural, economic, and political space. The ownership of the rich is based on the dispossession of the poor. It is the common public resources of the poor which are privatized, and the poor who are disowned economically, politically, and culturally. And can't we see that every day? The commoditization of education, the commoditization of health care. Who could believe the debate that is going on in the Congress uh, by people who really don't care whether or not human beings are given health care because they see it as a paid-for privilege, not a right that all human beings have. Um, and um, she says that corporate globalization, by definition, it breeds uh, militarism because how else are you going to impose these things without military force? Okay? And so by definition, you get the um, growth of the military and the military budget. He said it just the other night. The military budget must be built up. Why? In order to impose this new world order on the people. Um, and so the principles of um, uh, let me go back to uh, her connecting uh, of this to uh, ancient 
ancient concepts of living peacefully as one while evolving in biologically and culturally diverse trajectories cross our interconnected Earth family and inspire Earth democracy. The ancient wisdom and tradition of non-separability and interconnectedness that we revive is evidence in quantum theory, the space-time continuum of general relativity, and the self-organized complexity of living organisms. Earth democracy, in the contemporary context, reflects the values, worldviews, and actions of diverse movements working for peace, justice, and sustainability. We live in times when the combination of representative democracy and economic globalization has generated new fears, new insecurities, new fundamentalisms, and new violence. And of course, I mean, we can see this. We can see this very clearly in I Am Malala. Uh, because one of the important things about that book is how she documents over time the growth of uh, fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. What is uh, the generator of this fundamentalism? It is the post-colonial scarcity. It is the penetration of the nation state into areas where it has not heretofore existed. And certainly Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, these are regions in which uh, the nation state has not been able to uh, break the power of, of tribal government, not because they are failed states, but again, looking at it from the inside, you see that, that simply these are people who have rejected the nation state as the only model of government. Um, uh, Earth democracy allows us to reclaim our common humanity, our unity with all life. Earth democracy relocates the sanctity of life in all beings and all people, irrespective of class, gender, religion, or caste. And it redefines upholding family values as respecting the limits on greed and violence set by belonging to the Earth family. Family values of the Earth family do not allow for the privatization of water or the patenting of life, since all beings have a right to life and well-being. In the Earth family that acknowledges, as Chief Seattle did, that all things share the same breath, the beast, the tree, the man, the air shares its spirit, with all the life it supports, and one part of the international community cannot destabilize the climate, enclose the atmospheric commons, or ignore the rights of other species and other countries by creating 36% of the world's CO2 pollution. Earth democracy protects the ecological processes that maintain life and the fundamental human rights that are the basis of the right to life, including the right to water, the right to food, the right to health, the right to education, and the right to jobs and livelihoods. 
First democracy is based on the recognition of and respect for the life of all species and all people. I guess my attraction is that it brings together all of these things and talks about what we want to build because you cannot simply tear down without having a vision for what it is you want to see. And do you simply want to see a world where inequality shifts to a new group or do you really believe that all human beings have the same fundamental human rights? That was the challenge of the Enlightenment, universal human equality. But very quickly in the 19th century, you saw the reversal of that as the bourgeoisie began to demand equality only for one class, but not for all. So we're confronted with the same problem. Um, to me, uh, the book um, is appealing because it moves us back uh, to um, a real belief in um, fundamental human equality and creating a world in which that is possible. Uh, and she, again, it's well, it's well documented, you know, this is not a conspiracy theory. She's looking at the actual annual reports of these corporations and what it is that they are doing and why they are doing it and says, you know, this is not what we want. This, this is not a fight for justice and sustainability. We've got to talk about not conservation, but sustainability. I want, I want to be I want to start to bring us to to a close but what all together right as as what these what these books tell us and what you're you know you, when you started one of the first things that you were talking about is that um, oh, what did you say uh, you lifted up how Ella the, the the one of the things that you loved about the book about Ella Baker is that it shows her progression that real political knowledge comes from living mm -hmm. it and so what your political knowledge that you have gained from living your life. Um, what, right now, do you think we need more people doing more of? Well, <laughs> preserving our history, mm -hmm. um, this is crucial because people of color have um, been written out of history or marginalized, minimalized in history when people have no sense of who they are or who they were, they feel powerless. Um, I believe our history is an empowering history, a life-giving history. And so uh, with the Chicago State History Project, one of the things um, that we try to do is to preserve this history, not because it's the only history, um, can't tell Black Lives Matter how to wage struggle in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. um, simply glad that they exist, right? Because the struggle goes on. Um, but 
but young people do need to know uh, the power uh, the power that people have and that's been that's been forgotten that's that's been minimalized so uh, one of the things that the Chicago Snake History Project attempts to do is to not only preserve the history but to create intergenerational forms because this is another great loss um, people <laughs> I can't believe, uh, I, I said it of Bob Moses, I can say it of myself, and I can say it of, of everybody else instead. Um, these people would not be the people they are today had they not been, uh, had they not had the privilege to be in a forum where, yeah, you were 19 and 20, and of course, you know, you thought you knew more than everybody else in the world. And that's good because that's, you know, that's what youth is. But you also were in a room with an Ella Baker, a Fannie Lou Hamer, a Victoria Gray, names that people don't, you know, even know, Amzie Moore, uh, all these people who had already been through years and years of struggle. And Miss Baker never tried to tell anybody what to do, but you had that example before you, you know, you had somebody you could talk to um, because the problem with your peers is they, they've all experienced exactly the same thing right. you have, right? Uh, I mean, you know, there may be some nuances, right. but in order to find out something different, you had to be able to have these extraordinary conversations uh, with people who had already lived it. So one of the things we try to do is to um, create uh, these forums, and our, our annual conferences have done just that. Um, and now what we're working on is the People's History Project, making sure that this history gets into the communities that have created it. Because, unfortunately, our history has been so dismissed that there are whole movements. I mean, who knows today about the Exodustral movement? Who knows today uh, about Jesse Gray and the tenant strikes uh, up in Harlem? That's been all wiped out of the history books. That's, that's not important. And so young people think they have no history. When you are powerless, you, you turn to nihilism or other forms of non-productive um, activities. What, what we hope is that in returning this history to the people who created it, that they will have a sense of their power and, and begin to organize again. And I know it's happening, because I see wonderful young people like you. I see the young people that come around our, our project. And so I'm not, um, you know, I'm not in any way feeling uh, that change isn't gonna happen. It is. I think that there are some tremendous things that are missing 
uh, one of the things is political education. Mm -hmm. When uh, it, when I was in SNCC, I was constantly reading because I had to keep up. I, you know, I had to keep up. Uh, not just with what was happening outside, I had to keep up with uh, the people in the organization because, you know, if you don't have anything to contribute, what's the point, you know, what's the point of your, your being there? And you can't have anything to contribute unless... You, you've read something, unless you know something. I mean, reading is not the totality of it. I mean, you've got to be able to discuss this with people. Because, you know, if you just read things, it, it, you just become uh, idiosyncratic and eccentric, right? What stops that is being countered by people who have uh, different ideas or different interpretations. That's what makes you grow. Um, you can't... I can't think of any of these people uh, who don't read, mm -hmm. right? Who don't talk to others, who are not engaged in in developing the self. Because I mean, if you're just running around, running amok in the street, I mean, it's, it's not that you may not even be doing something, but ultimately. You know, what are you bringing to the process? Because anybody can just run around in the street. But it, you've got to be able to figure out what advances the movement and what retards it. And if you don't know anything, you know, how can you, how can you make right. that commentary? So... Uh, the People's History Project is designed to go into the community, uh, bring this history, create these forums in which young people can talk with, with veterans. Veterans can talk with young people. Um, there are things that I can do now that I couldn't do when I was 16 and, and vice versa. Right. Um, and uh, so... Uh, as I said, when you're working at the community level, you have to be very careful that you don't become narrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, we're trying a new experience. Uh, I do these tours of historic Bronzeville. On the 22nd um, of September, we're having a guest from Cuba come. Uh, one of them is a medical doctor. Uh, and uh, she has a very interesting practice where she works with uh, traditional mu musicians to do public health work uh, in rural areas. In other words, somebody might not necessarily come to the doctor's office, but they come out for a right. musical performance. But in the musical performance, what do you do? You talk to them about community health issues. Uh, you talk to them about uh, education. Uh, you, you do political education, but you do it in a social setting uh, that is, is comfortable for people to initially come into. So I'm going to do a Bronzeville tour for them, 
uh, and on the tour with us instead of just kind of random folks who want to see Bronzeville. Um, most of the people will be people who've been working around um, social justice issues and the, the uh, tour will actually be a forum for discussing mutual histories. So support the Chicago <laughs> History Project and everything that they are affiliated with, please. I will will link, there'll be a link with this. Um, whatever support looks like to you, if it's donating uh -huh. and, uh, money, if it's, if it's uh, sharing it with people that you think need to be connected, uh -huh. um, please, please, please do this. Um, we're... I'm gonna uh, kind of close this out, um, okay. and I think we're. This is gonna be about uh, just under three hours, and I, I'm going to insist that, that people take the time to listen to this and think through it and talk about it with other people. Um, take your time with it, but take the time. Um, and I guess if you're hearing this, you've done that because we're at the end. But I want to give you the last word. And that could be sharing a final passage or quote or poem, something that, you know, Miss Baker, Miss Hamer, any, anything, right? Just the, the, however you want to end. I, I, I thank you so deep. I could cry right now. I'm, I'm so um, grateful well, for your time and your conversation. I've said and it already, work. and Miss Baker said it many times, and that mm -hmm. is, we who believe in freedom cannot rest. Aluta continua, the struggle continues. And for me, it's in good hands. It's in good hands. I am so excited when I talk to the young people that I talk to. Again, as he said, like you, listen, you don't have to do this. Uh, you know, you could be spending your time in all the trivial pursuits that surround us. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very conscious of that. And so when I see the number of young people that have not bought into that, uh, the number of young people that are actively working to make change. You know, I mean, people criticize, some people criticize Black Lives Matter for this. Yes, they made mistakes. We made mistakes. We made terrible mistakes. Fortunately, most people learn from their mistakes, all right? If you don't make mistakes, you can't ever figure out what's right. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout out to The Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at litreviewshy. Keep, Keep reading! reading.